the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Got questions concerning elder or state law? Attorney Mike Connors has the answer. He was recognized as one of New York's top lawyers by New York Magazine and brings over 30 years' experience to the table. His office number is 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Here's Mike Connors. We are gathered here on hallowed ground. Horses raised, heads bowed down. Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors, accompanied by my wife, Beth. Hello, everybody. Okay, for those of you who don't know this show, the show is in two parts, not equal parts. The first part of the show, we talk about estate planning and elder law. And the idea behind estate planning is to pass assets from one generation to the next, paying the least amount in taxes we need to pay legally, avoiding going through court, avoiding probate, and as far as elder law is concerned, trying to save assets from nursing home bills. The second part of the show, we talk about politics, history, religion, entertainment, nostalgia. This This week, we have uh, two guests. We have Dr. Masagi from the John Wayne Cancer Institute talking about some of the research that they're doing and and how to protect yourself. And also, we have Robert Fuller. And Robert Fuller was one of those guys who was on TV all the time. He was on Laramie for four years, on Wagon Train for another three, four years. And he was on Emergency, I think, for six, seven years. And a lot of TV movies and a lot of theatrical film releases like Return of the Magnificent Seven and so forth. So Robert Fuller is going to be on. He's going to talk a little bit about his career and what he's doing right now. And I know, Beth, you were you confused Robert Fuller with Robert Horton. Yes, I did. And Robert Horton, I didn't like. And Bobby Fuller, I do like. He's another one of those real cute, nice guys, you know, when I was a little kid watching TV. So, yes, I am so sorry. And, Chris, all this time I was saying, oh, my goodness, no, not that Robert Horton guy. But, no, Bobby Fuller, he's great. He's he's wonderful. And I'm sorry about Robert Horton because I know he's dead. He's deceased. But I still didn't like his stuff on TV. In any event, let's get to the the email question. Beth, what, what email question do you have? Oh, my goodness. This is from Jonathan. And I'm going to paraphrase because it's this great big long thing. And this is a modern day question because he's talking about his estate. And one of his questions is, what if he has genetic material um, frozen, you know, saved, put away. And then, which is, he's saying, what if my sperm have been used for a woman to have a baby? Do any, any of the offspring from that, are, are they part of my estate? This was a huge, a huge question on and on and on. But 
those are the two main things. You know, is genetic, is frozen genetic material, I guess for anything, part of your estate? And then, you know, if if one of your sperms becomes a little baby, does that little baby have a claim to my estate when something happens to me? Well, a couple of points in there, which it's hard to go through, you know, like whatever, if it's your child, it's your child. Now, at the same point, an estate has to end at some at some point. Like, in other words, let's say somebody has a will and says, I leave uh, my entire estate teaches my children. You know, the problem would be, could you ever settle an estate? Because let's say you have a child 10 years after you're gone and you, you, you know, how many shares are there going to be? Technically, you could never settle that estate. So generally, and I don't think the law is going to change on this, if you're to be a child, you have to be born within nine months of your passing. Uh, otherwise, that's when the class closes. Now, at the same time, people in that situation should think a little about how they're going to draft their wills or what they're going to tell the lawyer to draft the wills. You can say something, you know, that any child not born of, you know, it's an old-fashioned term, but not born of the marriage is not a child for purposes under my estate. You can do that. You can put whatever phraseology you want in there. I would think if you're in that type of situation, you you do want to do something. And you certainly want to limit the class to each child of mine alive and in being at the time of my demise. That w- Alive and in being means nine months from when you're, you're gone. It, it is a tricky question, but at the same time, you can phrase it however you want. But if you're the child, the child I don't think can give up the rights as a minor or an unborn child. Rights to that child really couldn't be given up. So I, I think the question would be whether that's a child or not, and that child certainly could put a claim in against the estate. However, if you have a will that's properly drafted, and two, we want to avoid probate, that child wouldn't necessarily have to be you know, contacted. If you're in that situation, I guess you need to do some planning. I mean, everybody needs to do some planning. It's just a question of... of you know, maybe you want to take an extra step and be careful about your language. Now, Beth, you have another question out there? Yes, I do have another question. And I know you've talked about this before, but it is, it's something that I think everybody, everybody thinks about one at one time or another. You do your will, and then you go on a trip, husband and wife, you go on a trip, and tragically, there, there is an accident. And you both die in that accident. What can be the ramifications, whether if it's children, if you don't have children? You know, a lot depends, of course, whether they have a will or don't have a will. If you have a will, you should have a clear plan of, you know, where your assets go. And and this is one of the things I like to do ordinarily. It doesn't necessarily have to be done. But let's say you have a husband and wife and we say everything to each other. And then if something happens to both of us. Now, yeah, a husband could have one will and, and the wife could have another will with different beneficiaries. But I prefer the beneficiaries to be the same under both wills, like they compromise it or, or whatever. And, and, you know, let's say the, the husband has two children from a prior marriage and the wife has two children from a prior marriage. Instead of the wife's will saying, if something happens to my husband, I leave everything to my two kids. The husband saying something happens to my wife, I leave everything to my two kids. Well, maybe we compromise and leave everything, you know, to the four kids equally or what's ever equitable. Maybe the husband has more assets and we make it 60-40 or two-thirds, one-third. But the will should have a plan. That's part of what you want in the will. You don't want things unplanned. Now, what happens if there's no will and there's a husband and wife and they have kids from different marriages? Assuming the husband and wife die within 120 hours of each other, uh, half would go to the husband's family if there's no will or there's no plan, half would go to the wife's family. And of course, who's the family? Well, it depends on the circumstances. The wife's family could be nephews and nieces, uh, could be 
brothers or sisters, could be parents. And, you know, that's sometimes what happens. You got a 60-year-old person, they got a 90-year-old parent, they're in an accident or something, and all the assets go to the 90-year-old parent. And that's not necessarily a, a good result because, you know, the 90-year-old parent may not be able to take care of the money, and, and then, God forbid, the 90-year-old goes into a nursing home. And, you know, what have we accomplished? But you should have a plan in your will if something happens to both of you. And I know it doesn't happen very often. Listen, I've, you know, I've been doing estate planning for a lot of years. Very rarely do a husband and wife die together in an accident. It happens, but very rarely. But at the same time, you do want to have a plan in place because what does happen occasionally, husband dies of natural causes, wife's upset, especially if they've been married for quite a few years, 50 years or so, wife gets upset and then she passes away without doing planning to, to straighten out her affairs and things go wherever and you, you want to will, you want to plan. Now, I, I guess a variation to that question, let's say you have two kids and all four of you die. Your will says, I leave everything to my two kids, my, my spouse, my two kids, all of you die. Well, again, assuming you die within 120 hours of each other, half would go to the husband's family, half would go to the wife's family. And they, in that case, it might be the cousins of the children, you know, assuming they're nephews and nieces of, of the husband, nephews and nieces of the wife. It could be their uncles and aunts against, could be the grandparents. So, it, you know, the state has a formula depending on who survives, but the assets will go to your next of kin by law if there's no plan in place. A lot of times we like to put a plan in place, but at the same time, you know, if you've got two kids and your two kids have children, you know, we can't worry about it to the 10th degree. You know, at least have a will protecting your, your spouse and your children and grandchildren. If something happens to all of you, well, if you want to put a sentence in your will saying if something happens to all of us, it goes to charity, that's fine. We're more than happy to do that. And if you want to schedule an appointment to talk about that, those things, please give us a call at 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. We need to take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes. You're listening to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors. For our Ask the Lawyer friends and listeners, you can attend any of Connors & Sullivan's free seminars on elder law, Medicaid, wills, and estate planning, and more. Yes, it's all free and all close to you. So come to Connors & Sullivan's free seminars. On Tuesday, July 30th at the Greenhouse Cafe, 7717 3rd Avenue in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn, at 11 a.m., 3 p.m., and 7 p.m. On Wednesday, July 31st at 11 a.m. and 3 p.m. at the New York Marriott at the Brooklyn Bridge, 333 Adams Street. Street, downtown Brooklyn, and on Thursday, August 1st at Buckley's, 2926 Avenue S in Sheepshead Bay, Brooklyn at 11 a.m., 3 p.m. and 7 p.m. Can't go to any Connors & Sullivan's free seminars? Then call Connors & Sullivan at 718-238-6500 for your own free office appointment. Make an educated decision on your estate and family legal solutions today. Just call Connors & Sullivan at 718-238-6500. That's Connors and Sullivan, 718-238-6500, or go to connorsandsullivan.com. That's connorsandsullivan.com. Find out what you're entitled to. Come to a Connors and Sullivan free seminar. For more information, call 718-238-6500, or go to connorsandsullivan.com. Connors and Sullivan, plan now for later. I think I just found myself believing that I didn't need God. I just had everything under control, and church was actually a, a burden to me. I might have gone to church, you know, at Christmas time, gradually quit going. No, I didn't take my faith seriously, which, which probably means I, I never really got it to begin with. You can have a beautiful car, 
a big fancy home. But if you don't have Christ in your life, there's an emptiness that's there. We are enslaved to power or to greed or to wealth or to lust, especially as a man. But there's a true freedom to not be enslaved, but to attach ourselves to God and to be free. Thank God I'm home. Now that I'm back in the Catholic Church, I'm a new person. I love it. There's peace in our home that we didn't have before. You're coming home to a Catholic family where people today just embrace you. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for whatever reason, we invite you to take another look. Visit CatholicsComeHome.org today. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors, accompanied by my wife, Beth. We're back. Now, most of you know that each week, Kevin McCullough on his show takes one of our clients' email questions and asks me that question on his show, usually on Thursdays around 5.15. And Kevin, you can hear on 9.70 The Answer, Monday through Friday at 5 o'clock. On Wednesdays, he does an hour with John Katsimatidis, so he's on from 4 to 6 on Wednesdays. And of course, he's on WMCA from Monday to Friday at 3 o'clock. So take it away, Kevin, with the question of the week. Hi, Kevin McCullough. Time once again to get your questions answered by Mike Connors of Connors & Sullivan Law Firm. They are the law firm I recommend to everyone that I know that has any need by way of elder care, estate law, uh, will, testament, end-of-life issues, all those things. Connors & Sullivan, they are the number one team you want to be working with when it comes to understanding. And this week's question, Mike, from Sarah, she says, is it appropriate to give either incentives or disincentives for behavior? Why or why not? I'm assuming she's talking about in the will or the uh, or the uh, the trust. Of the trust, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that that's a personal question, but I mean, here's a common one. If my grandson graduates from a four-year university before he attains the age of 23, he gets X amount of dollars. You know, that, that's a fairly common incentive, and I think it could be a good incentive in some cases. Um, you know, on the other side of the coin is, and we've had this before, if my son is incarcerated as a criminal record, um, you know, at the time of my passing, he loses his inheritance. That might be a question. Of course, one of the questions when we're doing this is who's going to be the arbiter, who's going to be in charge of the money, who's going to make the decision whether the conditions are met or not. But... There, there are reasons for it. There could be, you know, carrot and sticks. You know, you graduate from college when before you reach the age of 23, you get a bonus. Um, you're in a drug rehab center when you're 25, you lose your inheritance. Well, I certainly think you that, do? you know, the rest of parenting, when you're bringing them up, certainly you, you use those same types of things. It may be constructed differently, but you get your allowance or you don't. Did you make your bed? I mean, it's kind of just uh, the uh, next layer of that. And uh, I hope that's helpful, Sarah, if you're listening. You know, Mike is willing to answer your questions in even greater detail every Saturday morning at 8 o'clock on AM 570, The Mission, and Sunday mornings at 11 on AM 970, The Answer. Uh, but you can also send him your questions, 718 238 to call their office, 718-238-6500, to set up your appointment uh, or to find out their uh, schedule of free seminars happening in the area. Or drop them a, a line at askmikeconnors at gmail.com. That's askmikeconnors at gmail.com. Mike Connors, thanks so much. Thank you, Kevin. Next up on our show, we're, we're going to have one of the researchers at the John Wayne Cancer Institute. And the John Wayne Cancer Institute is one of the, the, the favorite charities that we deal with. And, and Beth, we were out there in California to see the Institute, one in the end of January, beginning of February. And, and the place is very, very impressive. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I know we spoke of it before, but um, it's 
not only are the people wonderful, but it is to see the vaults where they have all of the 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 frozen cancer samples and the all the research that went into it and what happened they treated it one way and and did it work or did it not work it's just and the the doctors were so nice you know they they stepped out and they talked about their research and um Oh, we had a we had a wonderful time. Nice people and a wonderful cause. Yeah, and listen out there, if you you know you're thinking about in your will doing something for cancer, think about the people at the John Wayne Cancer Institute. You know, I know there are a lot of good organizations, and it's hard, but they they try very hard in what they're doing, and and they are faith based. It is a religiously faith based organization. If you're thinking about cancer research and you want to be faith-based about it, think about the John Wayne Cancer Institute. So we're going to have on Dr. Movasagi, who's going to be talking about his research into cancer. And after that, we're going to talk to one of my favorite TV stars from, from the 60s and the 70s, Robert Fuller. Thank you for listening to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors, accompanied by my wife, Beth. Enjoy. If you're a homeowner age 62 or older and are finding it hard to pay off debt, or how about enjoying your retirement years with less stress? A government-insured reverse mortgage may be the answer or might be the perfect solution for you and your family. Hi, this is Frank Melia, a certified mortgage planner. I've been a mortgage specialist for over 20 years, and I've helped countless homeowners all over the tri-state area tap into a little or a lot of their home equity so they can use it right now. This past October, the federal government made changes to the reverse mortgage loan program. Give me a call now so our office can show you how these changes affect how much money you receive and how the annual mortgage insurance costs have decreased. My job is to help you find the best solutions for your retirement goals. I do this by educating homeowners with straightforward information and answers. It's free to call and speak with me, Frank Melia, to determine if this FHA program might be able to help you and your loved ones now. Call and speak with me right now. I'll answer your questions and help you decide if a reverse mortgage is right for you and your family. Make the call now, 888-943-2646. Or try me on the internet at www.quanticbank.com backslash Fmelia. Once again, call 888-943-2646 and you could be on your way to a stress-free retirement. Frank Melia, NMLS number 62591. All loans provided by Quantic Bank, NMLS number 403503. Do you have somewhere to sleep? Did you eat today? Are you making ends meet? For thousands of New Yorkers, the answer is no. For children and youth, adults, seniors, people struggling with addiction or mental illness, and for the isolated, Catholic Charities of Brooklyn and Queens is there. With 160 programs and more than 4,500 units of affordable housing, Catholic Charities is one of the largest multi-service charitable organizations in the nation. We help change lives and build communities. If you or someone you know needs assistance, call 718-722-6001 or visit ccbq.org. Time now for Connor's Corner, where Mike takes a closer look at topics like history, politics, religion, and more. Here's Mike. Welcome to the Connor's Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. Most of you know out there, we've had a, a lot of great people from the John Wayne Cancer Institute and in St. John's uh, Healthcare Foundation, Health Center Foundation, and today's no exception. We have Dr. Maron Movasaki, and welcome to Connor's Corner. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's an honor. I understand, and I just learned this. This is Men's Health Month. What does that mean, and what are you guys doing at at, uh, at John Wayne Cancer Institute? So, so back in 1994, uh, if men, it was established that we, have, you know, men really don't get the care they need. So. Uh, uh, a group of guys actually in Michigan started this 
uh, men's health awareness. And over the last uh, two decades, we've been trying to increase it by different efforts, either would be getting guys to get screened for prostate cancer or just go see their doctor for general men's health checkups. Um, if you look at the data, um, you know, men underutilize the healthcare system by about half um, through the most important decade of their lives in their 20s, 30s, and 40s that can really shape how they, as they grow older, um, how healthy they're going to be. So uh, for us here at John Wayne and at St. John's, um, we have uh, different programs that we're sponsoring in terms of getting uh, the word out to our patients. Um, we have a open house at our center um, for other physicians and also um, patients to learn more about some of the programs that we have going on. And uh, all our uh, primary care doctors are helping us to get men in and uh, do the screenings that are recommended. Then why are men so reluctant to get the proper care? Uh, it kind of comes down to a couple of different main factors. One, um, you know, when we have our moms taking care of us until age 15, 16, and we actually utilize the healthcare system just as much as women do. Um, but in general, you know, most guys are fine, are fine, are fine until they're not. We don't like going to the doctor either. We, you know, it's a nuisance. It's inconvenient. Uh, it can get in the way of our, you know, careers and our daily work. And, you know, sometimes it's also a matter of just being scared of what we're going to find out. You know, a lot of us are breadwinners and we don't want to know that we have some sort of illness that's going to get in the way of providing for our families or um, our livelihood or our lives. So, um, you know, going to the doctor can be a scary thing. And uh, we try to, a lot of times, ignore the symptoms that our bodies are telling us. Um, and at the same time, you know, women, just by you know, virtue of um, having kids, have an already established kind of um, physician early on. Um, even if there's nothing wrong, they go to the OB and they establish that uh, relationship right, right, right during those pivotal years. And, you know, they have annual checkups and pap smears and so on. Guys, we just don't have that. It, it's not part of the healthcare system. So we don't establish those ties um, normally. Now, what kind of symptoms? I mean, you were talking about people 20, 30, 40. What kind of symptoms may happen that they should see a doctor? Well, so I'm a urologist. So, I'll, you know, I focus on urologic men's health. But, you know, in their, in, in their 20s and 30s, you know, things that guys should be looking out for specifically is, you know, testicular cancer, albeit it's not that common, it's a 100% curable disease. So doing a simple monthly self-testicular exam um, is something that if they find a, a lump or a bump that's abnormal, they should go see a doctor, whether it be a primary doctor or just come directly to a urologist. Um, you know, the number one um, killer in, in, in men and women is cancer. And so, you know, if things can be found early, then those cancers can be avoided and treated properly. Um, obviously, other things like obesity, um, diabetes, uh, these are potentially all preventable diseases. And if you know men are active and watching what they eat and living a healthy lifestyle early on and getting those good habits in, then they uh, can avoid some of these major illnesses as they get older. Now, I have a note here to ask you about pancreatic cancer and what can be done. I think it's prostate cancer. Okay. Um, yeah. 
Well, so prostate cancer is the number one cancer in men. Uh, it's uh, affects guys usually in their 60s and older. And, you know, up until now, prostate cancer was really a disease that, although there was a lot of good treatment options for, um, could have a lot of significant side effects, either sexual side effects, urinary side effects, um, and so on, um, when they got treatment. So over the last decade, we've advanced to the point where now uh, we can perform minimally invasive treatment of prostate cancer, whether it be um, using different energy sources um, to help just treat the cancer itself and leave everything else intact. So the best example is to think about doing a, um, a lumpectomy for, for breast cancer where you just take out the tumor and leave everything else intact so that, you know, from a physiological standpoint and aesthetic standpoint, everything else is the same. Well, we couldn't do that for the prostate just because of where it's located and the size of the gland. But now we have um, a technology called HIFU or high intensity focused ultrasound that we can use uh, MRI imaging fused with ultrasound imaging and actually just burn the tissue just where the t cancer is for the right patients. And now we can minimize sexual side effects, minimize urinary incontinence and uh, urinary side effects as a result of being able to just burn where the, t where the bad cells are and, and leave the rest intact. Now, is this relatively new? Is this widespread? So the technology has been around for about 15 years. It started out in Europe, um, and three years ago, the FDA approved its use in the U.S., uh, but what is new is the Focal One machine, which up until now, we could burn the cancer within the prostate with the other older machines. But the new machine is called Focal One, and it can actually burn just the area that has the cancer. And we are one of three institutes uh, in the U.S. at John Wayne that actually has the machine. So... You know, we're really excited about the fact that now we can truly provide focal therapy for prostate cancer. It's no longer kind of, you know, getting around it and doing half the prostate. It's really just going for where the cancer is. And sometimes that's all the patient needs. And so um, that's kind of one of the latest advances. And we're very fortunate, uh, thanks to our philanthropic, philanthropic efforts, uh, to be able to uh, get something like this here. Is there hope for an eventual cure of all cancers? Well, you know, cancer is something that occurs in, it's just a matter of whether or not the body, immune system can take care of it and treat it without it getting out of hand. Cancer just means uncontrolled um, cell growth. And, you know, the cells that are normally programmed to die don't. So, can't tell you that cancer is going to be eliminated forever because it's, it's a natural part of, you know, cellular physiology, but a matter of being able to detect it early and, you know, even before it becomes, you know, visible on imaging or has any symptoms is the key and to be able to have non-invasive cure, uh, cures for it. I think that's definitely something that we're going to see in our, uh, um, in our life, um, in our life, and if not in ours, and in the lives of our children. Now, let me ask you something, guys. You know, like me in the late sixties or whatever. What what should we be doing in terms of your prostate, which is 
something that is the most common, you know, cancer that you know someone in your age group is going to encounter. So you should definitely should get an annual exam uh, by either your general doctor or your urologist. Uh, they should check your PSA, which is just a simple blood test. And there's a lot. The PSA has gotten a lot of bad rep because it's been totally. You know, a lot of people think that it's not accurate and it's not helpful. But the reality of it is, it's still a great screening tool. It. Um, we now have a lot of complementary tests that, if that PSA is elevated or abnormally high, can help us hone in on to on the reasons of why it's high. Um, and they should get an exam, and go in and see their doctor. Beyond prostate health, I think the most important thing is cardiovascular health. And in fact, there's a lot of ties between heart health and prostate health. I usually say if it's good for your heart, it's good for your prostate. So things like, you know, having being on a Mediterranean diet, which is high antioxidants, good fats, um, lean proteins, uh, being active, um, cardiovascular exercise, um, resistance exercise, those can all help not just with your coronaries, but it can also help with uh, prostate cancer prevention and also helping with urinary symptoms and prostate health overall. Doctor, thank you very much for being on Connor's Corner. Good luck to you guys at the John well, Wayne Cancer Institute. And uh, hope to talk to you soon. How can I protect my family if something happens to me? What if I need to go to a nursing home? What will happen to our savings, our home? What's the best way to give my home to my kids? Who will help us take care of Grandpa? These and many other questions can be answered with a phone call to Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC, 718-238-6500. Mike Connors, one of New York Magazine's top lawyers, has over 30 years of estate planning and elder law experience. Mike and his team of professionals will help you protect your assets from probate, taxes, and nursing home costs so you can have peace of mind knowing you and your family will be taken care of and protected. I'm Mike Connors, founder of Connors & Sullivan. People don't plan to fail, they fail to plan. The time to plan is now. I'm Beth Connors. Call today for a free initial consultation with one of our experienced lawyers. Connors and Sullivan in Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, and Staten Island. Call 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500 or connorsandsullivan.com. We all know someone who's been touched by cancer. It's the second leading cause of death. And it took the life of my father, John Wayne. But even in his final days, he was thinking about helping others and publicly campaigning to raise awareness about cancer. His courage and grit inspired our family to do everything we could to fight the big C, as my dad called it. So we did something about it and founded the John Wayne Cancer Institute 35 years ago to advance life-saving research. Our discoveries are fundamentally changing the way cancer is treated around the world. Cures are within our reach, but we can't do it alone. I'm Patrick Wayne, and I'd be honored if you joined us in the fight against cancer. You can make a lasting legacy by helping to eradicate this deadly disease. Together, we can save lives. To learn more, visit jwcigiving.org. That's jwcigiving.org. Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. As most of you know, you know I'm a big fan of westerns, and one of my favorite western TV actors. We're very privileged to have on the show now, Robert Fuller. Robert, welcome to Connor's Corner. 
Okay. Thank you very much, Michael. Appreciate it. Now, some of the younger people, they're not going to remember you, maybe, but, you know, you're on TV now all the time. We, Laramie's well, on. yeah, all the show. Laramie Wagon Train and Emergency are rerunning all over the country and have been for about the last four years. It, uh, it's been pretty incredible, yeah. Yeah, because you're, did you ever think that when you were making some of these shows 50, 60 years ago, people would be watching them in, you know, 2019? Ab- absolutely not. Had no idea whatsoever that uh, that it would be like this. I've got I've got fans now that are ten and eleven years old that uh, that I get fan mail from, uh, and lots of teenagers that have been watching that show now. Laramie, particularly. Now, I guess a lot of us first noticed you in Laramie. So, how did that show come about? Well, it was my first series. Uh, I had been in the business for quite a while. You know, I started out working as an extra. And then, uh, of course, I was interrupted uh, service in the Army for a couple of years. And <clears throat> when I got back out of the Army, I started uh, studying acting with Richard Boone in 1955. And I got pretty lucky. I uh, uh, started working as an actor in early 56, uh, lots of in 57, a lot in 58. And by by oh, by late '58, I was getting some pretty nice guest star roles on that, on uh, several different television series. And Universal uh, came up with the I've done a lot of shows for Universal. They came up uh, with a new series called Laramie, and uh, and that's how it came about. And I did it. And as I said, it was my first series, so it's you could call it a breakthrough. That's for sure because that's when you come into everybody's. Everybody's home once a week, and they get to know you pretty good. Yeah, and now that you can see Laramie on the Western Channel, what, Monday through Friday? You bet. Four, five, six times. Okay. What was the dynamics of the show? Who was in the cast with you? Well, John Smith, of course, uh, uh, played Slim, uh, who who ran the the stage uh, stop. Uh, Bobby uh, Bobby Crawford, uh, Jr., uh, uh, played his little brother. And this is in the, this is the very first season. And then Hoagie Carmichael was the ranch hand, and I was a loner uh, who inadvertently, I guess, trespassed on his property. And, and we have a little uh, set to together about it. And uh, then I wind up at his ranch while he's not there to water my horse or something, and I meet the kid, uh, you know, Bobby, who I guess at that time was probably around maybe 11, 12, or something like that. And uh, I'm a, I'm sort of an ex-gunfighter, good guy, but, you know, uh, got a, a shady past, but I'm still a good guy. And uh, he takes a liking to me, and uh, it winds up that I stay on and uh, help run the ranch. And it, uh for four four seasons, 100 and, 136 shows or something, uh, that's the way it went. Now, why do you think it's enduring? Why why are people watching the show today? Oh well, Laramie, and I'm not just saying this. It's undoubtedly one of the best westerns uh, the TV series ever made. Uh, we had the best writers, the best directors. My cameraman alone was Ray Ranahan, who invented Technicolor. He was the Technicolor consultant on uh, on on Going with the Wind. My special effects man, uh, Frank Brindell, won the Academy Award for Earthquake. So I was surrounded by great talent, great uh, Les Seelander, Joe Kane. These are directors that directed Gene Autry and uh, Roy Rogers and Tom Mix. And uh, I mean, 
these these were old men when they were directing us, but they sure knew how to direct a western, and and great writers. So in those days, we had all that. Uh, couldn't do it today. You had good good guest stars too. We had the best. If, if you you say, do you watch that show? Yes, I watched well, it back you, then. You've you've seen who uh, so many actors who have gone on to become big movie stars. You know, Charlie Bronson. I could name a, a, a ton of them. Uh, it's amazing how television in those days kicked off a lot of people, including including my series Emergency. I mean, you look at it, you're going to see people like John Travolta. Uh, I, I could go on, you know, with one-liners who, who became huge stars. Let's talk about Emergency for a minute. Again, a lot of except for some of us older folks, a lot of people are not going to remember who Jack Webb was. Do you want to tell them and how you met Jack Webb? Well, I'll tell you, I don't know how many people cannot know Jack Webb. I mean, uh, Dragnet probably plays more on television, uh, along with The Lone Ranger, than any other two TV series ever. Jack Webb, of course, uh, uh, a dynamic uh, personality, uh, should have won the Academy Award uh, for a, a great movie he did called The D.I., where he played a, uh, <clears throat> a Marine drill instructor. He was also a, a very, very good actor and, and a good producer. He had probably, when I started Emergency with him, I think he had five television shows going. So uh, he knew his business. I had never met uh, Jack before, but I certainly had... Uh, Admired his work and then had, had watched him throughout the years. And my agent, I was, I, 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 this is after Wagon Train now. I'd already done Laramie, I'd done Wagon Train, I'd done movies. And, uh, my, and I was dying to do another Western series, but uh, they were almost gone. Uh, there was no chance of any more Western series coming on. But I was hanging around wanting to do one, and my agent called me and said, uh, Jack Webb is uh, interested in you uh, doing the lead in a new TV series that he has. And I said, really? I said, what's the name of it? And he said, Emergency. And I said, well, that sounds like a medical series. And uh, he said, well, it is. And I said, well, I don't want to do a medical series. I want to do another Western. And my agent said, are you nuts? <laughs> There's not going to be another Western on the horizon, period. And you don't understand. Jack Webb doesn't want to interview you. He wants you and nobody else in Hollywood to play Dr. Brackett on his new uh, the medical series about the paramedics. I'd never heard of paramedics before. I think we only had three or four in the whole United States uh, in 1970. So I said, well, I still don't want to do it, but I owe the man the courtesy to go in and tell him I don't want to do his medical series. So he said, well, they're expecting you after hours in his office uh, tomorrow night at Universal Studios. Uh, so I said, all right, I'll be there at 7 o'clock. And I put a suit and tie on and uh, showed up at his office and uh, was ushered into a huge, huge office full of all the NBC and, and Universal brass. And Jack behind his desk, <clears throat> a big, beautiful bar set up in there. Everybody's sitting around having cocktails. And I walked up to Jack's desk and I said, uh, Mr. Webb, it's a pleasure meeting you. Uh, and, you know, enjoyed your work throughout the years. But I really want to tell you from the start here, I am not interested in doing a medical series. Jack looks up at me and says, shut up and sit down. <laughs> Just like that. I took me back a little bit, you know. I, 
He said, do you drink? And I said, yeah. He says, go fix yourself a drink and come back here and sit down. Jack Webb. So I went over and I, and I poured a big vodka. And I, I came back and I sat down and I walked out of that office two hours later with 12 pages of a two-hour world premiere movie to be shot with 13 one-hour episodes to follow sold of a series called Emergency. So I was pretty lucky. <laughs> you wanted to do a Western, but Westerns were dying out then. Do you know why? Well, there's, there's several reasons. Uh, probably the really main reason, uh, if, if you really want to put the blame on somebody, would be the PTA, uh, Parent Teachers Association. Uh, they, uh, they didn't like the idea that we wore uh, gun belts and guns. Uh, and they thought Westerns were too violent. So they went to Teddy Kennedy, Senator Kennedy at that time, who in turn went to the FCC, and they all came down on Westerns, uh, including in the beginning of Laramie, as a matter of fact. We would get, uh, uh, when you do a series like that back in those days, uh, there are several rewrites before the show actually starts to be filmed. First, your, your script would be in white pages, and then the revisions would be yellow, and more revisions would be blue, and then you could get green. It's just, just rewriting a week, two, a week to two weeks before you start filming. Well, for the first two to, say, three years of Laramie, I killed at least five guys a show, beat the <laughs> heck out of ten, without a doubt, you know, not violent, uh, you know, for a meeting. You've watched the show. You know what I'm talking about. Right. Well, toward the end of the third year and going into the fourth, all it, every time we would get those revisions coming down from NBC and the FCC, I could only shoot two guys, wound one, and only have one fight. And that went for every Western, including the Virginian that was shooting that time on the lot. No, there were 32 Westerns in prime time uh, in, in uh, 1959, 60, 61, 62. 32 in prime time, and every one of them were affected. Uh, then on wagon train, when I went on to wagon train, the Indians, uh, Indian nation, uh, got up in arms about us killing Indians. Uh, how do you do a wagon train <laughs> in cross country without getting involved with the Indians? So that all that action got cut down, and that ended that show. So that's what happened, uh, uh, really, uh, toward the demise of Westerns. I just... Uh, they just got uninteresting. But at the same time, films, movies started to get more and more violent. Oh, but ten times more. I mean, look at Clint. Look at his movies. But see, that's movies. That's not television. Television was run by a network and the FCC. It had nothing to do with motion pictures. You acted in more than a few motion pictures. What was the difference to you between acting, let's say, in a theatrical film and a, and a TV series? Well, just more time, you know, more more rehearsal time, uh, you know, do a, we would shoot Laramie in five days. That's, that's 120 pages shot in five days, uh, 12 hours a day without missing a beat. And uh, that's tough. And that's a one-hour show. So you do a movie that's an hour and a half or close to two hours, you could take six weeks, eight weeks, ten weeks, you know, to, so you're only doing a couple scenes a day. You got all that leisure and all that rehearsal time to make them good. And, uh, you know, it, it's a whole different, different ball game. 
you know, we skipped over Wagon Train a little bit. How did you get into, how did you get to part in Wagon Train? Robert Horton was the scout before you. Mm, no, Denny Miller was. Denny Miller? Okay, I'm sorry. Well, no, uh, Robert Horton left the show way before I came on it, uh, two or three years before. And then Scott Miller, uh, his name was Denny, but they changed it to Scott Miller. Uh, he came on and he was the scout. And, uh, but when Laramie ended in 63 or 64, I'm not sure which it was, the studio immediately came to me and said, how would you like to go right into wagon train as, as the scout? And of course I jumped on it because it was a Western secondly, because it starred John McIntyre at this time, who was a very good friend of mine and had done several Laramie's, uh, Frank McGrath and Terry Wilson, uh, Hawks and Wooster were good friends of mine, ex stuntmen actors today. And I knew Denny Miller and I said, sure, I'd be more than more than happy to. And it was going to be expanded to an hour and a half in color. And they made me a very nice offer, and I got to do another Western. So that's how I walked right into that. And why did you like making Westerns? What was your attraction to it? Uh, well, I guess I could wear my boots to work and wear them home. <laughs> I, uh, I'm, I've always liked the West. I, I, I ride horses. So I have a ranch now with horses. And... Uh, I, I I lived the Western life in California pretty much. Uh, rode all the time, uh, uh, amateur rodeo stuff. Uh, you know, just my best friend was Chuck Courtney, uh, who played Dan Reed on the Lone Ranger Nest, uh, on the Lone Ranger series, and uh, he and I ran around together having a great time. He had horses, so I was always riding there, and and pretty and almost. Well, like I said, there was 32 westerns in prime time. Well, I did almost all of them uh, as, as you know, small parts and guest parts and larger parts before Laramie. So I was pretty well geared to do westerns. I could ride. I could draw a gun fast. Uh, I uh, I just had all the things that that, that worked for a, for a western for a, for an actor to do. You mentioned earlier you were in the military service. So what years were you in the military? Uh, I got uh, drafted during the Korean War. I turned 19, and uh, that was uh, 50, 53. I was in the Army for 53 to 55, 17 months in Korea, and 15 months of Korea, and a couple months in Japan. And then I got out of the Army in 55. Now, I noticed on, on your website you have a, a part dedicated to wounded warriors. What do you do with wounded warriors? Well, first of all, Jennifer and I support them uh, tremendously, uh, monetarily. And uh, a couple of years ago, uh, my wife Jennifer and I and, and a very close friend of mine, Ken Stormer, here in Gainesville, who has a uh, – he's an ex-wounded uh, uh, warrior himself, but he also uh, teaches uh, uh, <clears throat> special service in the sheriff's department and the police department, uh, all kinds of gun work. He has a great gun range and a ranch uh, not too far from me. And we decided to do something for the Warriors, and we invited, uh, I believe, 15 of them and their wives for a weekend of, of shooting. And, uh, and, and Jennifer and some girlfriends of hers to take the wives and all their children to the zoo in town. We have the great Frank Bug Zoo here. 
and uh, they had a marvelous time. And we, I went around in town. I got all the money to pay for the hotels, the food, the restaurant. Everybody contributed uh, to, to, to support these people, and they had the time of their lives. And it was, it was a great, great feeling for us to be able to do that for them because uh, they're fantastic people. Thank you for that. You know, thank you for your service. But there's not enough being done for veterans in, in today's world. And I mean, I know a lot of people are doing a lot of good things, but there's still not enough being done. Well, I'll tell you, Trump is doing the best he can. Yeah, he's I'll go along the, with that one. <laughs> he's, he's got the VA going uh, in the right direction. And, uh, you know, uh, people got to do their job there or they're gone. And uh, so that's got to, you know, get people's attention. And he certainly supports the services uh, 100%. So it's better than it has been. Let's put it that way. It can always get better. Right, right. Enough. Still, enough is not being done. The guys, listen, I had a very easy in the service. Three years out, no problems. But the guys today going back one year, home for a year, back for a year. Oh, that's a tough terrible. life. Oh, it is. It, it really is. I know several of them that uh, do those tours. And uh, I'm so glad when they come home and say that's the last one. Thank God I'll see you alive, finally. <laughs> it's it's rough. All right, I'm going to ask you one last question. Name some of the, 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 the people you enjoyed working with that the audience may know. <sighs> Joel McRae, for instance, I don't know. You, you were in his last film, weren't you? Yeah, I did. I did. My producer, who produced Laramie, and myself got Joel out of retirement to do that movie. Uh and uh, Mustang Country, which we shot up in Banff, Canada. Uh, well, <laughs> I certainly hope people know who he is. He was one of the biggest Western stars and and stars, period. There wasn't anything that Joel couldn't do. He was certainly my idol. I, uh, I, I patterned the way I rode a horse after him. Of course, I'll never ride a horse as good as he did, but uh, I, I made an attempt to, to, to try and look as good as he does. And, uh, no, he was an idol of mine, 100%. So that was a thrill working with him. But, you know, I've worked with, you know, lots and lots of great stars, uh, you know, throughout the years. Uh, uh, kind of the beautiful Rhonda Fleming, uh, you know, great redheaded actress, big, big movie star. I uh, guessed it on Laramie. I've worked with Betty Davis, uh, uh, Robert Ryan uh, guested on on one of my uh, wagon trains. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, Charlie Bronson did a couple of uh, of uh, Laramies. Uh, um, no, I would, there was lots of very very large stars at the time. They were paying a lot of money uh, to to get these movie stars to come and uh, and guest on TV. So we, we generally got a few pretty good ones. Robert Fuller, listen, thank you for sharing your time with us. Thank you for your military service. Thank you for what you're doing for the veterans today. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. Uh, great questions, and uh, I enjoy talking to you. Uh, got some good stuff there. All right. Well, thank you very much, and good luck to you. Thank you. Same to you. Beth, you know, one thing I, I found interesting in, in the interviews with some of these old actors, when they were de- doing these TV shows in, in the 50s and the 60s and so forth and 70s, they had no idea that 60 years later people <laughs> were going to be watching their shows. You know, as Bobby oh, Fuller no. says, or Robert Fuller, the reason I say Bobby Fuller is because when we were Patrick Wayne for dinner about a year ago, he said he did one movie with uh, with Bobby Fuller, and I know he likes to be called Robert, and that was Joel McRae's last movie, which we talked about briefly. These old actors, first of all, they they 
a lot of them seemed to be very humble. They have no pretensions. But at the same time, they had no idea that that something they did, in, let's say, in 1959, 1960, is going to be played on TV in 2019. Like Robert Fuller right now, <laughs> I mean, you got his shows are on the Western Channel. You have Laramie. I think they're on another station, Grid or something like that, where you have some episodes of Laramie. Forget about Wagon Train that... Uh, you know, he played the scout in the later few years of, of Wagon Train. And I understand Emergency is on one of those TV stations. So right now, his, his three of his series are playing on TV <laughs> almost every single day, you know, 60 years after they were filmed. I am so glad they are because they are just wonderful. And every time you talk to one of these guys, Mike, they're just the nicest people in the world. So we need more, we need more actors and actresses like that these days that aren't so full of themselves. Right. Well, I think they came from a different, you know, listen, Robert Fuller served in the in, in the military during the Korean War. You know, he's got a different standard, a different basis than a lot of the people today. So God bless him for his service. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors. I think uh, Mr. Kincaid is telling us it's the end of the show. All right. Bye-bye, everybody. We are gathered here on hallowed ground, the voices raised, heads bowed down. We're gathered here on hallowed ground to sing this soul away. We are gathered here on hallowed ground, the voices raised, heads bowed down. We're gathered here on hallowed ground to sing this soul away. For our Ask the Lawyer friends and listeners, you can attend any of Connors & Sullivan's free seminars on elder law, Medicaid, wills, and estate planning, and more. Yes, it's all free and all close to you. So come to Connors & Sullivan's free seminars. On Tuesday, July 30th at the Greenhouse Cafe, 7717 3rd Avenue in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn, at 11 a.m., 3 p.m., and 7 p.m. On Wednesday, July 31st at 11 a.m. and 3 p.m. at the New York Marriott at the Brooklyn Bridge, 333 Adams Street, downtown Brooklyn, and on Thursday, August August 1st at Buckley's, 2926 Avenue S in Sheepshead Bay, Brooklyn at 11 a.m., 3 p.m. and 7 p.m. Can't go to any Connors & Sullivan's free seminars? Then call Connors & Sullivan at 718-238-6500 for your own free office appointment. Make an educated decision on your estate and family legal solutions today. Call Connors & Sullivan at 718-238-6500 or go to connorsandsullivan.com. Plan now for later. The preceding pre-recorded program paid for by Connors and Sullivan Attorneys at Law PLLC. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.